0: This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit librivox.org. Recording by Katie Anderson Irowan by Samuel Butler, Chapter 7: First Impressions. We followed an alpine path for some four miles, now hundreds of feet above a brawling stream which descended from the glaciers, and now nearly alongside it. The morning was cold and somewhat foggy, for the autumn had made great strides latterly. Sometimes we went through forests of pine, or rather yew-trees, though they looked like pine, and I remember that now and again we passed a little wayside shrine, wherein there would be a statue of great beauty, representing some figure, male or female, in the very heyday of youth strength and beauty, or of the most dignified maturity and old age my hosts always bowed their heads as they passed one of these shrines and it shocked me to see statues that had no apparent object beyond the chronicling of some unusual individual excellence or beauty receive so serious an homage however i showed no sign of wonder or disapproval for i remembered that to be all things to all men was one of the injunctions of the gentile apostle which for the present i should do well to heed Shortly after passing one of these chapels, we came suddenly upon a village which started up out of the mist, and I was alarmed lest I should be made an object of curiosity or dislike. But it was not so. My guides spoke to many in passing, and those spoken to showed much amazement. My guides, however, were well known, and the natural politeness of the people prevented them from putting me to any inconvenience. But they could not help eyeing me, nor eye them. I may as well say at once what my after-experience taught me namely that with all their faults and extraordinary obliquity of mental vision upon many subjects they are the very best bred people that i ever fell in with the village was just like the ones we had left only rather larger the streets were narrow and unpaved but very fairly clean the vine grew outside many of the houses and there were some with signboards on which was painted a bottle and a glass that made me feel much at home even on this ledge of human society there was a stunted growth of shoplets which had taken root and vegetated somehow, though as in an air mercantile of the bleakest. It was here as hitherto, all things were generically the same as in Europe, the differences being of species only, and I was amused at seeing in a window some bottles with barley sugar and sweetmeats for children, as at home. But the barley sugar was in plates, not in twisted sticks, and was colored blue. Glass was plentiful in the better houses." Lastly, I should say that the people were of a physical beauty which was simply amazing. I never saw anything in the least comparable to them. The women were vigorous, and had a most majestic gait, their heads being set upon their shoulders with a grace beyond all power of expression. Each feature was finished, eyelids, eyelashes, and ears being almost invariably perfect. Their color was equal to that of the finest Italian paintings, being of the clearest olive, and yet ruddy with a glow of perfect health. Their expression was divine, and as they glanced at me timidly but with parted lips and great bewilderment, I forgot all thoughts of their conversion and feelings that were far more earthly. I was dazzled as I saw one after the other, of whom I could only feel that each was the loveliest I had ever seen. Even in middle age they were still comely, and the old great-haired women at their cottage doors had a dignity, not to say majesty, of their own. The men were as handsome as the women beautiful. I have always delighted in and reverenced beauty, but I felt simply abashed in the presence of such a splendid type, a compound of all that is best in Egyptian, Greek, and Italian. The children were infinite in number, and exceedingly merry. I need hardly say that they came in for their full share of the prevailing beauty. I expressed by signs my admiration and pleasure to my guides, and they were greatly pleased. I should add that all seemed to take a pride in their personal appearance, and that even the poorest, and none seemed rich, were well-kempt and tidy. I could fill many pages with a description of their dress and the ornaments which they wore, and a hundred details which struck me with all the force of novelty, but I must not stay to do so. When we had got past the village the fog rose, and revealed magnificent views of the snowy mountains and their nearer abutments. While in front I could now and again catch glimpses of the great plains which I had surveyed on the preceding evening, the country was highly cultivated, every ledge being planted with chestnuts, walnuts, and apple-trees, from which the apples were now gathering. Goats were abundant, also a kind of small black cattle, in the marshes near the river, which was now fast widening, and running between larger flats from which the hills receded more and more. I saw a few sheep with rounded noses and enormous tails, dogs were there in plenty and very english but i saw no cats nor indeed are these creatures known their place being supplied by a sort of small terrier in about four hours of walking from the time we started and after passing two or three more villages we came upon a considerable town and my guides made many attempts to make me understand something but i gathered no inkling of their meaning except that i need be under no apprehension of danger i will spare the reader any description of the town and would only bid him think of Dama Sola, or Fido. Suffice it that I found myself taken before the chief magistrate, and by his orders was placed in an apartment with two other people, who were the first I had seen looking anything but well and handsome. In fact, one of them was plainly very much out of health, and coughed violently from time to time in spite of manifest efforts to suppress it. The other looked pale and ill, but he was marvelously self-contained and it was impossible to say what was the matter with him. Both of them appeared astonished at seeing one who was evidently a stranger, but they were too ill to come up to me and form conclusions concerning me. These two were first called out, and in about a quarter of an hour I was made to follow them, which I did in some fear, and with much curiosity. The chief magistrate was a venerable-looking man, with white hair and a beard and a face of great sagacity. HE LOOKED ME ALL OVER FOR ABOUT FIVE MINUTES, LETTING HIS EYES WANDER FROM THE CROWN OF MY HEAD TO THE SOLES OF MY FEET, UP AND DOWN, AND DOWN AND UP. NEITHER DID HIS MIND SEEM IN THE LEAST CLEARER WHEN HE HAD DONE LOOKING THAN WHEN HE BEGAN. HE AT LENGTH ASKED ME A SINGLE SHORT QUESTION, WHICH I SUPPOSED MEANT, WHO ARE YOU? I ANSWERED IN ENGLISH QUITE COMPOSEDLY, AS THOUGH HE WOULD UNDERSTAND ME, AND ENDEAVORED TO BE MY VERY MOST NATURAL SELF AS WELL AS I COULD. He appeared more and more puzzled, and then retired, returning with two others much like himself. They took me to an inner room, and the two fresh arrivals stripped me, while the chief looked on. They felt my pulse, they looked at my tongue, they listened at my chest, they felt all my muscles, and at the end of each operation they looked at the chief and nodded, and said something in a tone quite pleasant, as though I were all right. They even pulled down my eyelids and looked, I suppose, to see if they were bloodshot, but it was not so. At length they gave up, and I think they were all satisfied of my being in the most perfect health, and very robust to boot. At last the old magistrate made a speech of about five minutes long, which the other two appeared to think greatly to the point, but from which I gathered nothing. As soon as it was ended they proceeded to overhaul my swag and the contents of my pockets. This gave me little uneasiness, for I had no money with me, nor anything which they were at all likely to want, or which I cared about losing. At least I fancied so, but I soon found my mistake. They got uncomfortably at first, though they were much puzzled with my tobacco pipe and insisted on seeing me use it. When I had shown them what I did with it, they were astonished but not displeased, and seemed to like the smell. But by and by they came to my watch, which I had hidden away in the inmost pocket that I had, and had forgotten when they began their search. They seemed concerned and uneasy as soon as they got a hold of it. They then made me open it and show the works, and when I had done so they gave signs of very grave displeasure, which disturbed me all the more because I could not conceive wherein it could have offended them. I remember that when they first found it I had thought of Paley, and how he tells us that a savage, on seeing a watch, would at once conclude that it was designed. True, these people were not savages, but I nonetheless felt sure that this was the conclusion they would arrive at and I was thinking what a wonderfully wise man Archbishop Paley must have been, when I was aroused by a look of horror and dismay upon the face of the magistrate, a look which conveyed to me the impression that he regarded my watch not as having been designed, but rather as the designer of himself and of the universe, or as, at any rate, one of the great first causes of all things. Then it struck me that this view was quite as likely to be taken as the other, by a people who had no experience of European civilization, and I was a little piqued with Paley for having led me so much astray, but I soon discovered that I had misinterpreted the expression on the magistrate's face, and that it was not one of fear, but hatred. He spoke to me solemnly and sternly for two or three minutes. Then, reflecting that this was of no use, he caused me to be conducted through several passages into a large room, which I afterwards found was the museum of the town, and wherein I beheld a sight which astonished me more than anything that I had yet seen. It was filled with cases containing all manner of curiosities, such as skeletons, stuffed birds and animals, carvings of stone, whereof I saw several that were like those on the saddle, only smaller. But the greater part of the room was occupied by broken machinery of all descriptions. The larger specimens had a case to themselves, and tickets with writing on them in a character which I could not understand. There were fragments of steam-engines, all broken and rusted among them i saw a cylinder and a piston a broken fly-wheel and part of a crank which was laid on the ground by their side again there was a very old carriage whose wheels in spite of rust and decay i could see had been designed originally for iron rails indeed there were fragments of a great many of our own most advanced inventions but they seemed all to be several hundred years old and to be placed where they were not for instruction but curiosity as i said before all were marred and broken We passed many cases, and at last came to one in which there were several clocks and two or three old watches. Here the magistrate stopped, and opening the case, began comparing my watch with the others. The design was different, but the thing was clearly the same. On this he turned to me, and made a speech in a severe and injured tone of voice, pointing repeatedly to the watches in the case, and to my own. Neither did he seem in the least appeased, until I made signs to him that he had better take my watch and put it with the others. This had some effect in calming him. I said in English, trusting to tone and manner to convey my meaning, that I was exceedingly sorry if I had been found to have anything contraband in my possession, that I had had no intention of evading the ordinary tolls, and that I would gladly forfeit the watch if my doing so would atone for the unintentional violation of the law. He began presently to relent, and spoke to me in a kinder manner. I think he saw that I had offended without knowledge but I believe the chief thing that brought him round was my not seeming to be afraid of him, although I was quite respectful, this in my having light hair and complexion on which he remarked previously by signs, as everyone else had done. I afterwards found that it was reckoned to very great merit to have fair hair, this being a thing of the rarest possible occurrence, and greatly admired and envied in all who were possessed of it. However that might be, my watch was taken from me, but our peace was made, and I was conducted back to the room where I had been examined. The magistrate then made me another speech, whereon I was taken to a building hard by, which I soon discovered to be the common prison of the town, but in which an apartment was assigned me separate from the other prisoners. The room contained a bed, table, and chairs, also a fireplace, and a washing-stand, There was another door which opened on to a balcony, with a flight of steps descending into a walled garden of some size. The man who conducted me into this room made signs to me that I might go down and walk in the garden whenever I pleased, and intimated that I should shortly have something brought me to eat. I was allowed to retain my blankets and the few things which I had wrapped inside them, but it was plain that I was to consider myself a prisoner, for how long a period I could not by any means determine. He then left me alone. End of chapter 7